Do you know where the word marathon originated? Back in ancient Greek times, an army from the Persian Empire invaded Greece. The Athenian forces that met the Persian army were vastly outnumbered, but they still managed to defeat the invaders. Back in those times, messages were delivered from city to city by running couriers, who would trek across the mountains and the long distances between city-states. After defeating the Persians, the army sent one such messenger back to Athens to deliver the news that the city was saved. The location of this battle? A small town named Marathon. The distance between the town of Marathon and Athens was 25 miles, or about 40 kilometers. It is said that the messenger in question, Pheidippides, ran the distance, proclaimed to all that Athens had been saved, and then promptly collapsed and died. This story became legend. Ancient Greeks had been running long distances already for hundreds of years. And this tradition carried on to modern day Greece. The first ever modern Olympic Games held in Athens featured a marathon distance to commemorate this famous tale. Since then, the marathon has grown into one of the biggest participation events across the entire world. Today, I'm gonna to tell you all about the story of my first battle against the Persian army. Nah, maybe another day. Instead, I'll tell you all about my first marathon. Hi, I'm Stephen, and welcome to my podcast. When you were eight years old, you wrote the school play, danced in the ballet. I'm sitting here at my desk, looking at a beautiful spring afternoon. On my laptop, open in front of me, there's a photo from a trip to Portugal. It's from the 9th of November 2014, and its caption is, Finishing my own private marathon. The photo features me, arms raised in celebration, in jeans, and with my sweatshirt tied around my waist, running under one of those big inflatable finish lines. I was in Porto with my girlfriend at the time, and we were walking through the city when we happened upon some streets that were closed off by barricades. It became pretty clear that we'd stumbled across the Porto Marathon, but late into the event. There weren't many runners left. The ones who were still out there looked pretty tired. My guess was the elites had finished hours ago. Yet in a street that was still open to the public, there was a big finisher's archway. That was one of those inflatable finish lines. I thought it would be hilarious to get the typical finisher's photo as if I'd completed the marathon myself, just being a typical tourist. I had no idea how interesting this photo would prove to become. That naive young man in a silly pose had no idea that he'd be crossing a finish line in real life, in a real marathon, not even a year later. On a previous podcast, I explained how I went from zero to runner, from being lazy and unathletic to falling in love with running and becoming mildly athletic. Go back and have a listen to that one if you're curious about how it all started. That's where I want to be Tethered down in Nova Scotia When this photo was taken in November 2014, my guess is that I probably ran about three times that year, at most. But a few months later, I was sick of being in a rut. I was lazy, I'd wasted many of my days indoors, I wasn't that healthy and I wanted to change. I went vegan, 
and started running all in the space of a few days. And I jumped into the deep end with both. I barely started to run regularly when I was already online looking up nearby marathons. Cologne, October 4th. A quick check of my work schedule for the year. Hey, it falls perfectly into my days off. Fill in the online form, hesitate for barely a moment and click registered. Just a quick word on marathon registration. It's expensive. It surprised me just how expensive. If you're running a small regional marathon, that might be about 50 euro, 40 pounds, 50 dollars. A big city marathon, that might be over 100 euro. Why on earth would anybody pay that much voluntarily just to suffer through running a really long way? Now that I've run several marathons, it becomes a little clearer. Everyone who finishes a marathon gets a medal, and in most cases they also get a t-shirt and a few other goodies thrown in. That's thousands of medals and t-shirts, and that probably costs a lot of money. Then throw in all the water, all the energy drinks, and all the other items they give you at the aid stations. I'd imagine closing down main streets in all the major cities has to be quite costly too. If you get hurt during a race, you'll have a trained medical professional nearby on hand to help take care of you. Again, money. I'm sure any race director can give you a full breakdown of where all the money gets spent. It's probably available online. In fact, I might investigate that myself now that I'm curious. But I'm going to hazard a guess and say that nobody is setting up a race event to make money. Nobody's getting rich off a marathon. Unless you're running a Disney race, but that's a different story. Anyway, no sooner had I registered for my race, I was online searching for a marathon training plan. I had no idea when I needed to run, or for how long, when I should rest, nada. There are free training plans online, if you'd like, or you can go the other way and hire a running coach. They'll personally tailor one to your own wishes, to your schedule, and that's a bit more expensive. I took the middle ground instead. I found an online resource called the Marathon Roadmap by No Meat Athlete. It had a training plan for beginners, but it also featured an ebook designed to walk you through every step from day one of training to race day itself. It also had recipes, interviews with the experts, and loads more. I think it was about 30 euro, maybe 30 dollars, 33 euro if memory serves me right. But either way, it turned out to be great value for money. Even years later, I still go to that as a resource. Resource, do I say that wrong? Resource? Resource? Anyway. Don't be afraid to spend a little extra, especially when you're a beginner. It can all get a bit confusing in the beginning, in my experience anyway. So, I'd signed up for my first marathon. I had a training plan. I was 24 weeks away from the big day, about six months. It's plenty of time to start from scratch. The first few weeks of training is what's called base building. Short, easy runs, two or three kilometers at first, designed to get your body used to running regularly. I used to do most of these runs around a park just outside my house. They were boring at first, but I was motivated. I had so many new running podcasts to listen to for a start. Some days the running podcasts were the only reason I got out the door at all. As I started to become a regular runner, I'd also be learning some training tips or listening to interviews with elite athletes. Now you'll have to trust me on this next bit because I know it's hard to believe, but after a week or two I started enjoying it. I was looking forward to my run instead of dreading it. Where before I'd be getting bored after just a few minutes, now I'd start to notice things like the birds and the types of trees. 
I was checking my running gait. That's the fancy way of saying the way your body runs. I'd notice my breath, how tired my body got. I started to learn things like my average pace per kilometer. I wasn't getting any faster, but then again, I wasn't even trying to. These were early days. I didn't want to put too much strain on my body. The first month training was almost entirely made of nice, leisurely runs. Well, I say nice, leisurely runs, easy runs. It was perfect timing too. This was April and then May. The weather was starting to get warmer, the days were brighter and longer. Maybe if I'd started running in December I'd have probably given up after a week. After the base building phase of about five weeks, I was starting to feel some progress. I could run up to five kilometers without it absolutely exhausting me. In fact, a short slow run would mean I'd come home with more energy than when I left. It would wake me up, it would invigorate me. Then training started properly. A standard week of marathon training would involve about two to three easy runs, one or two running workouts, and a rest day or two with a long run on the weekends. I say one or two of this, two or three of that, because any good training plan is designed to be flexible. Some days I had to work long hours, some days I was sore or tired or just not bothered. So you could ramp up the activity or ease off as required. The running workouts I mentioned are designed to help increase your speed or your running power. Things like interval training. Interval training is where you'd run hard for one minute and then slowly jog or walk for two. And repeat it several times. Got my body used to running fast and increased my heart rate. Or I would do a hill workout. Similar idea, just run really hard up the hill and slowly walk or jog back down. And again, and again, and do it five times in the beginning. Later in your training, maybe you can do it eight times or 10 times. It's up to you. These workouts are designed to push your body's limits. Well, within reason. Easy running should take up the vast majority of training, but you do need to get some intense workouts in too. That's a large part of building up your endurance base and how you get faster. Now I was really getting into it. My birthday was in early June and I got sent some running gear by my parents. Just basics, some socks, running shirts, a new pair of shorts, but the new gear made me want to run even more. I remember that I had so much chocolate cake on my birthday that that evening run was a slog. It was an early and clear example of how you should fuel your body in the right way. Throughout this time, I'd been eating really well, mostly whole foods, all vegan, lots of fruit and veg, almost no junk food, and I could feel the difference. My energy levels were sky high, my mood was stable, my skin felt great, and I was running well. On this one day when I didn't care about eating healthy, I noticed my run suffered as a result. And that's fine, from time to time. Come on, it's my birthday, of course I'm going to have cake. One of the things any marathon training plan would tell you is that you should try and get a couple of races in as part of your training. This will help you to understand the logistics of race day and give you a chance to really push your body to run hard instead of the normal easy pace you would do. The buzz of the crowds, other runners, music pumping, that will all help to make sure you can run faster for longer compared to a standard solo training run. My first ever running race was to be the Kika 10km race in Utrecht in the Netherlands. I remember googling the race info and seeing that it had a 1 hour 30 minute cutoff time. Cut-off time means that's the amount of time they give you to finish the race. 
At this time, I wasn't sure if I was even able to run 10 kilometers in one go, let alone do it in 90 minutes. The week before the race, I decided to run 10k, nice and slow, just to see if I could. I had my then-girlfriend ride alongside me on her bike, with some water and some snacks in case I needed them. It turns out I was overly concerned for no reason. The only hard part was that I needed to pee and I tried to hold it in until I got home. Even today, my brain-bladder connection always lets me down. I think my brain has figured out that it's a good way to stop me running, at least temporarily. So even after a few minutes into any run, I think I need a toilet. But it's always mind over matter. It passes. The 10k was easy. I took it slow, enjoyed the summer sun, which had started to go down, and I felt fine afterwards. That gave me much needed peace of mind for the upcoming 10k. I knew I could do the distance. Now I just had to see if I could do it fast enough. I arrived in Utrecht the day prior to the race. I'd never been to the city before, and it's beautiful. Gorgeous architecture, picturesque canals running through the historic city centre. The highlight is its massive cathedral. Now that I look back, it wasn't exactly wise of me to visit the cathedral. That involves climbing thousands of steps up the Netherlands' highest church tower the day before the race. Not ideal. On the morning of the race, I was as giddy as can be. Every runner I saw in the train station, I felt a connection. We were kindred spirits. I smiled at anyone who'd look at me. I bought a green smoothie and a banana in a train station kiosk, and I got on the bus out to the park where the race was being held. The people at the registration desk were old ladies, didn't speak great English, and at that time I had almost no Dutch, but hey, they were just volunteers, and they were still very kind, despite how busy it was. I made my way to the starting area, did a few stretches, and just took in the moment. The buzz around the start line was unlike anything I'd felt before. This was just a charity race, but the music was pumping and everyone was in great spirits. The race itself went great. It was fun, the crowds were cheering, the fellow runners were all very friendly. I had no idea about pacing myself or what time I was aiming for. I just wanted to run fast and finish happy. During the run I learned a few Dutch phrases, as onlookers would be cheering things like Goedzo or Lekker Bezig, just general positive support stuff. There was one lost in translation moment, when a volunteer at an aid station was handing out cups and saying something which to me sounded like alcohol. To this day, now that I even speak Dutch, I still can't think of what she might have actually been saying that sounded like alcohol. I checked with her that, that it was indeed just water she was handing out, which she found hilarious. I was slightly embarrassed, but hey, I'm glad it gave them something to smile about. I carried on with the race, drinking my very non-alcoholic water. Towards the end, I got talking to another girl running the race, as I tend to do. She was friendly and moving about the same speed as me. We chatted for a while, picked up the pace together and crossed the finish line. I'd done it. My first race. My first medal. I was overjoyed, and I couldn't help hanging around for a while afterwards, taking in all the positive vibes. That same day, while on my way back to Germany, I had to change trains in the city of Nijmegen. I know that city well, and I like it so I decided to wander and take a later train home instead. My wandering took me past a running store, which previously I would have never paid any thought to, yet now I felt compelled to enter. One tip I'd read about in my marathon roadmap was to go to a running store and get a gait analysis. This is where they get you to run on a track in the store and they film it, 
analyzing your running style in slow motion. This way they can tell which parts of your feet hit the ground first, among other things, and determine the ideal type of shoe for you. So I decided to go for it. I was going to get my gait analyzed and buy a new pair of running shoes. Some good ones this time. AKA expensive ones. Seeing how my foot hit the ground in slow motion was cool. It turned out that I'd land ever so slightly on the outside edge of my foot before the rest hits the ground. I believe that's overpronating, they call it, the technical term. The guy helping me picked out a few types of shoes that suited me and got me to try them on. I'd just run my first 10k and now I was talking and being treated as if I was an expert runner. It all felt pretty cool. I left the shop with a brand new pair of Mizuno Wave Rider 10s and immediately I wanted to wear nothing else on my feet ever again. As the summer went on, the temperatures got higher and the miles got longer. Most of my training weeks pretty much looked the same, but the weekend long run gradually got longer and longer. I enjoyed the long runs particularly. It was a cool feeling every time I reached a new distance and thinking, huh, I've never run this far before. Yet I was fully aware that each time I did it, it would become harder and harder the next time. Training through the summer months turns out to be ideal, so your body has to get used to the higher temperatures. There's a reason most big city marathons are run in autumn. The temperatures have cooled again, but your body is used to training through the heat, so it should perform better on the day. It's like when elite athletes train at altitude, and when they come back to ground level they can perform better. All this time I stuck to my training and my nutrition almost perfectly. I wish I still had that level of discipline. So if you are in the early days of running and are being as regimented as can be, like I used to, enjoy it, stick with it, it might not last. The next memorable milestone in my training was the first time I had to run 13 miles, 21 kilometers. That's half marathon distance. It felt daunting. I'd made a running friend at work, and thankfully after work one day he agreed to run the distance with me. I just sprung it on him, only a couple of hours notice, but he signed up, he was a good sport. It was a hot summer day, and we headed out to the forest nearby where we lived. His pace was faster than mine, and I was worried about being able to keep up. I had a bottle of water in one hand, my phone tracking my run in the other. At the time I didn't have any pouch or waist belt, just the very basics. Our halfway point was a river, in which we'd turn around and run for home. His early fast pace and the day's heat were getting to us. We doused ourselves in cold water at a drinking fountain. The river looked very tempting to just jump right in at this stage. But we doused ourselves in cold water at a, drink f at a drinking fountain and headed for home. It was a lot of fun. We had a great day. He was good company and that helped to get through it. But as we started to reach the town again, we were getting very hot and tired. I remember we jumped into the sprinkler in a garden to cool off, only to then realise as we jumped in, the old couple who owned the place were staring right at us sitting in the garden. Thankfully they weren't upset, they could see we needed it desperately, we smiled, we apologised, and they laughed, and we carried on. I virtually limped home as we reached the final mile though. But I've come to realise it's in those tough moments where the best training is done. I wasn't only training my legs to run the distance, I was training my mind teaching it how to persevere, how to realise the discomfort that can be ignored, it can be pushed through. It was now late August, over halfway through my training. I was a runner. I loved it. I felt it. Those early days, 
the needed music or podcasts as a distraction were long behind me. I'd still listen to some from time to time, but I was savouring my runs now as a chance for some quiet solitude. I wouldn't bring headphones on my long run. I never thought I'd be able to tolerate a couple of hours without distraction of some kind, let alone enjoy it. But hey, there I was. Running does that to you. It changes you in lots of little ways. My next race, and the final big one before the marathon itself, was to be the Wild Atlantic Run in the west of Ireland. I'm Irish, and at this time my parents were both running too. My dad had even signed up and was training for the Cologne Marathon alongside me. I was so happy when he told me he was going to do it. I hoped he would, but that's a very different thing from actually signing up for your first marathon. My cousin Joe was going to join us for this half marathon too. I hadn't seen him in years, I didn't even know he was a runner. So, it's a family affair. I'd come across the race on a vegan runner's Facebook group, I think. The race director himself got in touch with me on Facebook to tell me about it. And so, the four of us signed up, and I booked a flight for home. The race was situated in a stunning part of the country, from Strand Hill to Ross's Point in Sligo, in the northwest of Ireland. The race director, Graham, was so helpful. He ensured there'd be vegan food during and after the race, and even giving me my own choice of race number. I remember when I met my dad in Dublin, he remarked how good I was looking. I don't mean to brag, I'm not trying to be cocky, but I do think it was a reflection of my inner self. During this whole time period, I was so happy. I was eating well, I was in great shape, and I guess it came through, I guess it showed. I don't think my dad ever realised how much that remark validated what I was doing, how good it made me feel. So, we were in Ireland, we headed up to Sligo. The night before, we had dinner in a Chinese restaurant across from our accommodation. A nice big feed to load up for the morning race. I also drank my first pint. Believe it or not, up until this point in my life, I didn't drink any alcohol. Yet, ironically, at this time when I was enjoying so many new healthy habits, I decided to start drinking. See, when you're growing up in Ireland, you see a lot of toxic attitudes towards alcohol, especially as a teenager. And it never appealed to me. Being in my mid-twenties and living in another country, I saw that you could indeed enjoy a healthy relationship with alcohol. It didn't have to be all or nothing. Plus, I'd given up so many other bad habits that I'd previously had, so it didn't seem too bad. Maybe it wasn't ideal to drink my first pint of beer the night before my first ever half marathon, but I do know my dad was proud to finally share a beer with his oldest son. And hey, I enjoyed it. Race morning itself was bright and beautiful. So cold. We had a nice breakfast in the hostel, porridge and orange juice for me, before heading out to the regional airport, which is where the race would start. The airport was built on top of a hill. Oh, the wind was just cutting. We hid in the terminal building for just a while, which was closed for the race. I remember the race director had put me in the first starting corral, which meant I had to start up front with all the really fast runners. I think he expected me to be a super fast runner, but no, I just about made it as well. The runners had already crossed the starting line when I came off sprinting behind them just to join on time. The race director shouting, go on, get going. The first section of the course was along a beach which was beautiful, but it was tricky. It meant jumping over little streams of water, avoiding the rocks, climbing back up to meet the road. A lot of fun, but I was already a bit tired. The west of Ireland is stunning, though. The high mountains on your right would drop down to the cliffs and beaches on your left, and we were running right in between the two. The course hugged the coastline as we ran around Sligo Bay from one town to the next. It was a very hilly course, however, 
I remember a few long, slow uphill climbs that just drained us of all our energy and enthusiasm. Soon after it started, my cousin Joe quickly left me behind. It was clear that he was far faster than I was. Meanwhile, my parents were somewhere behind running together. The race went well, overall. I kept a steady pace, didn't let my negative thoughts linger too long, and the scenery always helped to distract me. As we were reaching the end of the race, I spotted a woman running in a black triathlon shirt in the distance. I decided, she's my target. I was going to run fast enough to catch up with her. I should have known how hard it was going to be by the fact that she did triathlons. This woman was probably in her 50s and she was in great shape. She ran fast but I managed to catch and then keep up with her. The race, which had been up and downhill the whole way through, ended with one final steep climb up a hill and then right back down again to finish at a local yacht club. I think Graham, the race director, knew what he'd done as he was at the start of the hill with a megaphone shouting encouragement as all the tired runners passed by. I remember him shouting plant power at me as I passed by. He knew it was me by my green no-meat athlete shirt. Since I'd bought and used their training plan and started listening to their podcast, I'd become a big fan of no-meat athlete. And I'd bought one of their shirts too. Has a cartoon running carrot on the front, says runs on plants on the back. Like the site itself, the shirt isn't preachy or aggressive, it's just fun and friendly. Anyway, I won't quickly forget the elation I felt as I reached the top of that final hill and I could see the finish line right down below me. I charged down the hill with whatever my tired legs had left, finishing just behind the triathlon woman who had unknowingly become my pacer. I thanked her for her help. My cousin Joe was waiting for me nearby and we talked about our race while waiting for my parents to appear. It got very cold very quickly after I'd stopped running and my parents were behind on their predicted finish times, nowhere to be seen. I was getting a little worried, but mostly impatient to be honest. I knew the yacht club had hot food on offer for all the participants and I was hungry. Turns out my parents were being good Samaritans, they picked up a struggling runner, someone who got injured during the race, and they made sure to get her limping across the finish line. In the end, the post-race food was worth the wait. It was some savoury vegan pie if I remember correctly. I just remember being so grateful. Other people mentioned the vegan one was even better than the meat version. I was starving, there were leftovers, so I got seconds. Even better. For the rest of the day I was in a state of bliss. Sure, my legs hurt like hell, but otherwise I was so happy. I'd run a great race, had a beautiful medal and t-shirt, and I got a photo with the race director. And then we enjoyed a nice easy day around this beautiful seaside town. Sadly, the, that half marathon, there was only one, they didn't continue it, but if you can ever get out to Strand Hill in County Sligo, beautiful part of the world. I hope Shell's Cafe is still open, that was, that was nice. The next few weeks were to be the heaviest of my training, the hardest workouts, the longest runs. I remember one long run being particularly challenging. A marathon training plan will never actually have you running the full marathon distance, 26.2 miles. My longest training run was 20 miles. They say that anything further and you're just risking injury. Plus, the fitness and the adrenaline on the day will take you the rest of the way. But boy, this 20 miler, this long run hurt. I took it slow, I didn't want to risk getting injured. Over the last few months I spent a lot of time on my feet. I trained a lot. And the harder you train, the more you risk getting hurt. I'd avoided it so far and was so close to my race I didn't want to throw it all away now. The trouble with taking it slow for 20 miles is that your legs start to get sore from being on your feet for so long, obviously. I remember stopping into a shop to buy a banana and a bottle of water about two thirds of the way through 
and it provided me with some much needed respite. But by the time I got home I had blisters on my feet and I was limping. But I got it done. Again, it's all good mental training. By the time I got to my hometown I had blisters on my feet and I was limping the last of the way. But I got it done. Again, it's all good mental training. From this point on, it was taper time. Tapering is the name given to the final period of your training. You've done the hard work, now you just need to make sure your body is fresh and well rested come race day. In the last two to three weeks of training, there's really no hard training that can be done that will give you any extra fitness. A common phrase you'll hear in long distance running is that it's better to start a race undertrained but well rested than overtrained and tired. Yep, there is a logic to that. Though, I'll admit myself, and probably many other runners too, have used this line as an excuse to take it easy in training. Oh, it doesn't matter about doing this run, at least I'll be well rested. Tapering is good for the body, but the mind, that's a separate challenge altogether. By this stage, I had fallen head over heels in love with running. The long runs were especially enjoyable to me. How things changed from the start of my training. And so it proved tough to resist the urge to run as often, or as far as I really wanted to. It required discipline not to train. Again, I know how mad that sounds. I just wanted the big day to come. The word marathon had been there in big bold letters in my training plan from day one. Now, it wasn't some abstract goal, it was real, it was almost here. I was so excited and I talked to anyone who was willing to listen. That's a true sign that I've become a runner. The big weekend had finally arrived. I was like a kid waiting for Christmas. My girlfriend had joined to support me, and we'd be meeting my dad in Cologne. We walked around the city for a bit, though I was determined not to make the same mistake as I'd done with that 10k in Utrecht and walk my feet off the day before a race. I'd found the perfect healthy vegan restaurant where we could have a big carb-loading meal. What we hadn't planned for was the fact that October 3rd was some sort of German Independence Day. It was a public holiday, and most of the restaurants in any big supermarkets were closed. Thankfully we had an Airbnb with a good kitchen so we decided to find any supermarket, just get some food and cook at home. The only open one we could find in the whole city centre was in Cologne Hauptbahnhof, which is the main train station. It really seemed this may have been the only supermarket open in the entire city as it was unbelievably crowded. Oh, I still remember the smell, the noise. Half of the shelves were empty, it was just madness. We did manage to find some pasta, some veggies and a bit of sauce and to ensure we got a decent feed. Oh, and a bottle of red wine as well to share. Pre-race dinner and a glass and a half of red wine has since become mine and my dad's go-to routine the day before a race. Again, there's a debate to be had about the health benefits of alcohol versus the uh, drawbacks the day before a race. We felt the benefits, as it ensured we enjoyed our dinner, we had a nice relaxing chat afterwards and we all went to bed in a good mood. Just don't overdo it, of course. Another activity also has become part of my pre-marathon routine. It's a documentary called Spirit of the Marathon, and that follows five different people training for and running the 2005 Chicago Marathon. Everyone from a first-timer to the elites, and everyone in between. It's honest, it's raw in some places, it's emotional, and it's so inspiring. I think I've seen it six times now, and it will still leave me in tears the next time I watch it. There's something about the marathon. Even though I hadn't yet run one, it already had such a massive positive influence on my life. So I was grateful, and I felt like I belonged in this community. While I was relaxed and ready and in a good mood, I still just didn't sleep very well that night. Too much excitement. 
That morning we headed out to find the local tram stop to take us into the city centre. It was Sunday morning and the streets in this suburb were empty, except for a few fellow runners also boarding the same tram. There's such a connection amongst runners in these moments. We spent months training, doing solo long runs, probably questioning ourselves, all our friends wondering why we're running 20 miles. It can be a bit isolating, and yet in these moments you see thousands of people all around you. That's when you know you're not alone. You might be crazy, but you're not alone. From Cologne Hauptbahnhof, we had to change trains to a smaller station on the north side of the river, and that's where the race would start. The train was jam-packed, and almost entirely with marathon runners. Getting off at the station was such a rush. It was loud, buzzing with activity. There were people on their phones trying to find each other. Some people were getting last-minute food and drinks in, others were stretching. There were even some running, and to this day I never really understand why you'd want to run before you start a long-distance run. But hey, to each their own. I was a bit nervous, sipping a carton of coconut water. That had become my go-to drink pre- and post-run. There were probably a hundred port loos or as the Americans say port pots scattered around. I'd say each one of them had about a ten-minute queue. Many men, and even some women, had resorted to a quick pee behind the bushes instead of waiting. I hugged my girlfriend, and she set off to meet us later at some pre-planned spots around the race. Dad and I found our way into the starting area. I remember saying to Dad that once we crossed this fence, the only time we were getting out was after the finish line, some four hours later. That was a hell of a thought. And there began the longest wait. I was cold, I was anxious, and just incredibly excited to get going, finally. We got talking to a German man near us, Michael, who was also running his first marathon. He was very friendly and he spoke great English. The race was huge. We were so far back that we couldn't even see the start line from where we were. You would hear the start gun going off several times, releasing each corral one at a time. Meanwhile, we just inched forward bit by bit. Finally, our baby steps became strides, and then we were running. I crossed the start line and I literally jumped for joy. I can't really explain or replicate just how excited I was crossing that starting line. I remember I jumped up with glee at one point in this kind of star jump, and I landed a little awkwardly on my knee. This was a nice reminder to get my head back in the game. The race had barely started, and I could have almost ended it after about 10 seconds. Thankfully, my knee felt fine, and it carried on. I just kept telling myself, I'm running a marathon. Eventually, that buzz settled down, and we found our rhythm. Those thousands upon thousands at the start line spread all through the city of Cologne. The weather was ideal. It was sunny, with a few clouds. It was cold to just stand there, but perfect temperatures once you started running. The first half of the race was nice and smooth. I'd run a few half marathon distances by now and I knew my body could handle it without too much stress. Still, it took about two hours to reach the halfway point and then knowing we'd have to do that same distance all over again, that was a tough thought. But I couldn't let it take over. Instead, we enjoyed seeing the city. That's one of my favourite things about running a city marathon. Where else would you get the entire city of Cologne or Dublin or London or Berlin completely closed off so you can run down the main street and in the main tourist areas. It's a very unique way to see the city. And it took us through some residential neighbourhoods, some places we'd never get to see if we were just tourists visiting for the weekend. The crowds were out in numbers and everyone was so friendly and supportive. Dad and I learned a few German phrases of encouragement that I've since forgotten. Some people were holding up funny signs like touch here for a power boost or worst parade ever. That one you'll start to see a lot when you run more marathons. 
At around the halfway point we ran into our friend Michael again from the starting area. He started ahead of us but obviously had slowed down as the miles went on. For the entire second half of the race we yo-yoed to and fro with Michael. We would overtake him and then he would overtake us. The fatigue did creep in slowly but incessantly. Things started to get tough when you were far out of the city centre and you were away from the buzz of the crowds. Everyone around you was getting quieter and more tired. My ex-girlfriend was there in some strategic moments to lift our spirits, although we learned afterwards that she'd endured her own challenge just trying to navigate the city to meet us wherever she could. There was one long stretch of road which is called an out and back, meaning when you're running down that road you can already see people running back the other way. You know those people are probably 20 minutes a half an hour ahead of you in the race and you're only going to be there on that same stretch of road where you currently are now. It's quite challenging for the mind, but it was one of a few ways we discovered to keep our spirits up. People watching. Many people ran with race shirts that had funny slogans on them, or they were running for a good cause which was printed for all to see. There were some people in costumes, and you would even see the odd barefoot runner. Some people had perfect running form, they glided like gazelles. Others, probably me included, looked a bit wonky or awkward, but yeah, clearly worked for them. And for anybody who says, oh, I could never run a marathon, I urge you, really, just go and watch one someday in your local city. You'll see all sorts of people, old, young, big, small. There are blind runners. You'll see firefighters running in their full gear. People are pushing wheelchairs. I mean it, anyone can run a marathon. If you don't want to, if you think it's crazy, okay, but don't say you can't. Gradually, the miles ticked by and we were coming back into the city. At this point my legs had really begun to hurt. My initial excitement and giddiness had very much faded and my mood began to turn pretty sour. It surprised me actually. I retreated inwards. I didn't want the conversation and any little thing my dad would say would just irritate me. That's very much my fault, not his. He's always had a wonderfully positive demeanour and usually I do too. But I discovered I get a bit irritable towards the end of the marathon. Well in this one anyway. I'll blame the pain. Thankfully, nothing really hurt in a worrying way. I didn't have blisters, there were no injuries. You would occasionally pass somebody who'd collapsed and was being tended to by the paramedics. Suddenly, my tired legs didn't seem so bad. Towards the end, we spotted a young man leaning against the streetlight, in a pretty bad way. By that stage, Dad and I were taking walk breaks anyway, so we decided to slow down and check on him. Again, nothing serious, he was just clearly exhausted. By this stage, I'd trained enough and had run enough in this race to know that his mind had given up before his body, most likely. So we kept him distracted, we got him to walk alongside us, we got to know him a bit and kept chatting, and the walk turned into slow running again, and we were on our way. Turns out this guy was called Stephen too. Stephen joined us for the last few miles. By this stage, I knew I'd finish. I was in agony, sure. My legs were really starting to burn. But I knew I could handle it, I could just suffer through. At one point in the distance we saw a giant inflatable on the horizon and I incorrectly assumed, oh that might be the finish line. False hope, sadly. Turned out to be this kind of giant inflatable shark head, which was a promotion for some company sponsoring the race. I still don't know what the company was and it didn't work as a promotion because I hated them for getting my hopes up. As I said, I got a bit bitter. Luckily, the real finish line wasn't far off. The last miles were through the old city centre. The streets became narrower and cobbled, which those cobblestones proved hard to run on. Again, myself, Dad, and our new friend Stephen had run into Michael, and the four of us ran together, a tired but merry bunch. The iconic feature of Cologne is its massive Gothic cathedral. 
which comes into impressive view as you rounded the bend on the final straight towards the finish line. Or so I'm told. Turns out that I was so exhausted, so tunnel vision focused on the finish line that I had failed to spot this huge masterpiece of architecture right beside me. On the final straight, the other Stephen just broke into a sprint and left us all behind the ungrateful git. We picked him up off his feet, almost literally, and carried him with us to the end, and then he just leaves us. No, I say that jokingly, I don't blame him. For the final stretch, the cobblestone streets are covered in a red carpet, and once I got onto that carpet, I forgot all about the pain. I sailed across the finish line, and immediately burst into tears. Dad finished right behind me, and we hugged it out. The volunteers encourage you to keep walking, and as you're filtered through, you receive your finisher's medal. I have it hanging on the wall here behind me as I record. The pain immediately returned to my legs, but I didn't mind. We'd done it! We posed for finishers' photos with Michael and Stephen, and then got some of just the two of us. The elation was just, ah, oh, incredible. They say mile 27, though, can be the hardest part of a marathon. You've crossed the finish line, and... All you want to do is just collapse to the ground and never stand up again. It feels so tempting. Firstly, the race volunteers won't let you, as they want to keep the flow of people moving. But mainly, I've heard it's just a bad idea. As agonising as it is, you are encouraged to keep moving and try and stretch out your legs. You've been moving in the same motion for hours and you need to get the blood flowing all through the legs again. Thankfully, the Cologne Marathon turned out to have one of the best post-race areas of any marathon I've ever run. They had a whole street lined with tables handing out fruit, water, coca-cola, fresh bread and hot vegetable soup. I've never had bread and soup since then in a race. Beautiful. My body was so depleted that this felt like dining at a Michelin star restaurant. I ate and I ate and I ate and I ate and it never tasted so good. There there was also a place to get your medal engraved with your name and your finish time. I had run my first marathon and finished in a time of four hours. 44 minutes and 14 seconds. That was slower than I'd have liked, but honestly I was just happy to cross the finish line. And I know that I wouldn't have been able to go much faster than that even if I had really pushed it. We eventually shuffled along and met my girlfriend, who we'd managed to see three times during the race. I'm sure her patience was tested as she was walking with the two of us limping around like old men, wincing on every flight of stairs. I really hadn't noticed how many steps we'd taken to get to and from our Airbnb at any other stage during our trip. One surprising thing, turns out it's harder to go downstairs than upstairs after a race. We took some solace in that everywhere we looked there were others with race medals around their necks, looking in just as much discomfort as we were. Schadenfreude, I guess. We spent the next few hours at home recovering. I managed to grimace through a cold shower which I'd realised through my training was a great help when my muscles were tired, especially after a long run. I never enjoyed it, still don't, but I knew it was worthwhile. I think Dad had a nap. He usually does. He certainly earned it. That night, we went out for drinks in an Irish pub, I think Ireland were playing rugby, and we wore our medals proudly around our neck. There were plenty of others in the bar wearing medals too. We had a few drinks, I think Ireland won. Dad had brought me an Irish flag that I had draped around me, I'll never forget coming out of that pub that night, so tired, so happy, walking through Cologne, seeing the cathedral illuminated in the background. What a day. And that's it. I know it was long-winded and rambling, that's how I tend to be when I'm storytelling, but I do think it's important to share all the ins and outs of what it takes to run a marathon, showing you my journey from a complete non-runner to finishing a marathon.
We all know so many people who have never run a day in their life, and you probably know someone who runs all the time. Now you've seen my journey of getting from one to the other. To quote the tagline of Marathon Training Academy, one of my favourite running podcasts, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. You do have what it takes, and it certainly has changed my life, for the better, in so many ways. If you have any questions, or if you think I've skipped something, I'd love to hear about it. You'll find the links on how to get in touch with me in the episode description, and I'm sure I'll be sharing this on all my social media channels. You can also find me there. Hey, thanks very much for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye. It's still